Amen. What a great time of worship. What a packed house today. We are so glad to see all of you. If you're a child, first through sixth grade, you can now be dismissed to your Bible class. I know you're going to love that. So excited that's going on. We're all anticipating Easter. You see in your copy of Lifelines, a volunteer sheet. And we need volunteers all day long for the three services on Easter. Please take a chance to fill this out. Drop in the basket today. We're especially needing some volunteers for the 11 o'clock service. So please be looking if you can come help us then. I, I love the reflective reading that Jeremy just took us through. And I'll go ahead and tell you where it was if you didn't pick it up. It was from Ephesians chapter 2. And what Ephesians 2 says so clearly is we are saved. The question, though, we're asking right now is we're saved for what? I, mean, I always think about when you're baptized, the way I, I wish God would do it is, is you, you're dunked in the water, you come out with your sins washed away, and, and God just takes you directly to heaven. Beam me up, Scotty. I mean, just go. Wouldn't you love that? But, but God, for some reason, has said, no, I want you to stay here. I've got things for you to do. And that's what we're answering in this series about why church. Last week, we looked at the church being the body of Christ, that we are left here to do the work of Jesus, that we're all different body parts. The apostle Nathan introduced us this morning to a new body parts, rear ends. Now, I've known some rear ends in the church, but Nathan, you gave me a whole new perspective. Thank you very much. Because we all are important, we're all needed, because the work of Christ has got to go on. Now today we get to a new picture, a picture I've never talked about. We are the temple of God. This is not familiar to us. In fact, if I'm riding around town and I see some church, I'll just confess, with a sign out front that says temple, I think that must be a weird church. But the truth is... The term temple of God is every bit as scriptural as the term we use, church of Christ. It's there in the text, and it has a meaning for us that we are God's temple. Now, though we might not be familiar with it, the people Paul is writing in Ephesus, they would be mega familiar with it. I mean, you see two temples there. On the left side of the screen is Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. It was magnificent. On the right side was the temple of Diana in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so all of them knew that. In fact, if you went to any major city or small city in the ancient world, on the highest plate, the most magnificent building, the most noticeable building was the temple. It's like going to any little town in Alabama, what's going to be the biggest, most magnificent building in the middle of the square, First Baptist Church. You just see it everywhere you go, right? You know that's the Baptist church. It's going to be the biggest one in Alabama. And they knew when they went around, when they saw the temple, it was the most magnificent building. Why? Because it represented their God. You built your temple grand and glorious because it would say something to everyone about how full of glory your God was. So when we talk about why church, this is one of those pictures. Look at where Paul gets to the point. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, excuse me, verse 21. In him, that's Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A what? 
Say it out loud. I want to hear you guys. You got your mask off. I want to hear you. A what? A holy temple. There it is. In the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together. Oh, I love this. To become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So let's answer our question this week. Why church? Why bother? Because church is a place for God to feel at home. Uh, This reason is not about us. This is about God. You see, 70% of American Christians say that they would be okay, that they could do okay without a church. I don't believe that. But I know God doesn't believe it, especially because God wants a home to live in. And he paid a really high price to build it. Now let's go back to the context of the passage we just read. Now open your Bible, look on the screens, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11, right after he's telling us about being saved, now he tells us about what's going to happen to us. Now, as we prepare to read this passage, I want you to think for a moment. If you're in the church at Ephesus and you're Jewish, what would this sound like? If you're a Gentile, what would it sound like to you? I'm telling you, these words were revolutionary, okay? So listen from their perspective and let it hit you hard, the kind of temple Jesus is trying to build. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope, and without God in the world. Pretty bleak picture for Gentiles. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How did that happen? For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside In his flesh, the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. That's the Gentiles far away, the Jews who are close. Look at verse 18, powerful. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole body, The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Now what a picture. God wants to build a temple like it had never been known. And so Jesus has got some reconstruction work to do. He's got some repurposing to do because people have forgotten what the temple is about. And he's going to call on both of us, all of us, to reimagine what this temple should be. Let's start with the reconstruction. You see, when the Jews and Gentiles read this in Ephesus, 
This was unheard of. Temples were about your country, your town, your God, not everybody. And so they're shocked as they listen in church when this ancient letter comes and the pastor gets up and reads it. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's happening? So what does he do? First of all, he tears down this wall. What is this wall of hostility that um, Paul's talking about? Guys, understand this. In, In the temple of God, in the old covenant, there was a wall and there was an outer court. And Gentiles were able to come to the outer court. But there was a a dividing wall, five feet high, that they couldn't come any further. In fact, in the late 1800s, there's archaeologists that are digging and find Solomon's temple. And on that wall, they find a sign that says, Gentile, come no further unless you want to die. So talk about hostility. I mean, this wall represented incredible hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus says, through the cross, I have come to completely tear that down. You see, we we have walls in our country through the years. When they were renovating the Crest Building on Dexter a few years ago, they found the signs for the white-only and the colored-only water fountains. And now it's on display down there that says, you know what? It's not just back then where there are divisions that had to be broke down. It's still today. And Jesus came and said, I'm breaking down these divisions that people thought would never be broken down. So there's where he starts. He's tearing down that wall. And then he's placed this cornerstone, which is himself. Now, this is not just a um, ceremonial cornerstone like we put in a building. We put a, a building, a little corner there, a little block, and put a name on it maybe, um, Maybe a time capsule. Oh, no, no. This is, this is a real cornerstone. It's the most important stone in the building. Without the cornerstone, the building will not make it. You see, because it's in this big stone that everything else is measured. Everything comes off the corner if it's going to be straight. Ancient temple, they say, that stone may have been 570 tons. And so if you mess up on the cornerstone, the whole thing's going to fall down. If you get the cornerstone right, everything else builds around it. And Jesus was that cornerstone. And then he says, around the cornerstone, you lay this foundation. Now, foundations are so important because they'll determine how long the building lasts. If you go in the ancient world today and you visit some of those towns like Athens, or what you'll see still standing after everything else has been destroyed is the temple. Because it was built to last forever for their God. And this foundation, here's what Paul says. Around that cornerstone, there's this foundation, the testimony of the apostles and prophets. And look at here. Here we are over 2,000 years later, and we're still studying the apostles and prophets. Because that's what makes this building eternal. The Word of God will never pass away. And then, I love this picture, on top of all this, the building begins to rise stone by stone by stone. I love that picture. Jesus is a living stone, we are living stones, and the building slowly but surely rises stone by stone. In fact, I was reading a story this week, 
Many of you remember one of the most famous wall speeches ever given was by President Reagan. It was during the Cold War. And uh, the communists had built a wall not to keep people out, but to keep people in. And Reagan was tasked to give a speech at the Berlin Wall. And he kept, I've read some history on this, he kept writing in this line, and his aides kept marking it out because they thought it'd be too controversial, thought it'd make people too mad. But he didn't care. So he stands up with a wall behind him, East Germany behind him, West Germans in front of him. He says, Mr. Gorbachev, I challenge you, come to this place, tear down this wall. And most thought it was just an old man's pipe dream. But many of us lived to see that wall come down. And when it did, everything changed. And Christianity, once again, had freedom to flourish in Eastern European and Soviet Union countries. It was a fascinating thing I read about this week. There was an Eastern or a Russian Orthodox church in a small town outside of Moscow. And when everything started opening back up, this church had been closed for decades. They decided, well, let's, let's go back out there and open that church because now people are wanting to go to church and it's legal. And so they go out and the church is not there. It had been a two-story building. And, and they're really confused because they know it had been there. And so they did an investigation. They found out there was some people in that village who figured out that bricks were worth four cents apiece. And through decades, they had chiseled one brick at a time and sold it until the two-story building was down. Because that's the exact opposite of what God wants to have happen. That's what Satan does. Satan takes his chisel, and he starts chiseling away one stone at a time. And before long, the temple of God is destroyed. You see, listen to me. This brick by itself is worthless. Unless I wanted to throw and wake somebody up. But I mean, it's it's just pretty worthless. And off on its own, I mean, it counts for nothing. But you add it to a beautiful edifice like this building, and it becomes something beautiful and powerful. And that's the picture of us. We all are being built brick by brick into this temple where God lives. See, the excitement is not as Satan chisels it. The excitement is as God builds it. I don't know about you, but I love to watch buildings go up, especially big buildings. It just, just sort of amazes me. And some of the, my favorite pictures from history are from the 1940s when the Empire State Building was built. Hundred stories tall, tallest building in the world at that moment. But here's what was really amazing about that building. Record time of being built. No one's ever done it before. Certainly with regulations today, you couldn't do it. The Empire State Building went up in one year in 45 days. And, and, and you, could, you can see those still pictures of, of, of it coming up. It's incredible. And that's the picture Paul wants you and I to have of this amazing temple for God that would make the Empire State Building look like nothing. It rises up stone by stone, brick by brick, into this incredible temple. So, what's the purpose of this temple? Well, Jesus has to come in and repurpose the temple because there's nothing in Jesus' ministry that made him more mad than the temple being in bad shape. Twice, once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end, he wreaks havoc in the temple. Takes a cord, whips, runs people off. Doesn't sound like Jesus does it, but it was. Begins to turn tables over because 
this was supposed to be the home of God. So how does he rebuild it? First of all, write these down. These are important. It's a place of connection. It's a place, the temple was the place that people connected with God. That's why he was so mad. Matthew chapter 21, when he's ripping through the temple, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. You see, the temple was supposed to be the place where people were closer to God than anywhere on the earth. It was all about God. And for these Jewish people, it had become all about money, and God was offended. And that's why it's so important, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where he says, in this temple, Jews, Gentiles, everybody has access to God. That was unheard of. Even the Jewish temple, only the high priest could once a year go into the Holy of Holies. But my friends, when Jesus died on that cross, that curtain that separated even the Jewish people from the presence of God was ripped in two from top to bottom, signifying that God did it so that everyone could now be in the Holy of Holies. My friends, the purpose of this temple that we are seeking to build is a place for you and I to connect with God. Second, it's a place of unity. I mean, verses 12 and 13 are just incredible. No one would have ever dreamed. That's why Paul calls this the mystery revealed in the book of Ephesians. No one would have ever dreamed that Paul would use a Jewish man, the word temple, to say that we all come together as one. Crazy. It's a place of unity. You see, I love the term holy. It's a holy temple. It's a holy building. Holy simply means it's different. The temple was different than any other building on the face of the earth. And we are meant to be different. So in this temple, everyone is welcome. Everyone is connected. You become friends with people that you would have never become friends without in culture. You become close to people that in the eyes of the world, you actually have nothing in common. Except Jesus. Which means you have everything in common. And so... If we're going to be the temple of God in Jesus' eyes, in Paul's eyes, you don't want a temple where everybody looks alike, acts alike, thinks alike. That's not the point. The point was those walls are broken down so we can all be together. And then it was a place of life. Look at a, look at a passage with me first of all, though. 1 Peter chapter 2 goes a little bit more detail of this. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now Peter adds a little bit to our picture. It's a place of life. Not only was Jesus a living stone. I'm reading some history this week. When early Christians said Jesus is a living stone, they were talking about his resurrection. He's not dead. He's alive. And then Peter says, we are a resurrected people as well. We are also living stones. It's like any building. It has life. Man, if we could interview Don Tarot about being the architect of this building, I will guarantee you he could tell us how this building moves. Any building has movement in it. Any building, actually, you have to make sure they can, they can breathe. 
especially when you build a building on this wonderful Montgomery Prairie soil. Don't you love it? Anybody ever tried to grow anything in it? That's hard enough, more or less, building a building because it shifts and it cracks. And so you have to build a a, a tension in it where it can move. And and Paul and Peter are both saying, this is this living building that that moves and it's alive. That's what the church should be. It should be in a live place. I've been in churches big and small. I've been in 2,000-member churches that you walked in and felt dead as a door. Now, I remember preaching once for a church, man. It was packed out twice as big as we are. And I, I walked out and I called. I said, it, they were packed, but it was dead. There was no life. I've been in 20-member churches, meeting in a home where you thought, these people are alive. And listen to me, friends. We've got to be a place of life. When people walk in this building, and you know it, you sense it, you've been there. And it's up to me and you as living stones that this is a place where people come and go, man, something is going on in that place. I mean, it's alive. Lives are being changed. God is being worshipped. Love is abounding where you'd never see it. And then it's a place of worship. Peter says, it's a place where we offer sacrifices. Now, what sacrifices do we offer? We don't have to offer lambs and goats because Jesus was a once-for-all sacrifice. What do we offer? We offer, but, but the book of Hebrews says, the fruit of our lips. Because what you just did in worshiping God so beautifully a few moments ago, that was a sacrifice to him. And the sacrifice doesn't end in this building because this isn't the temple. It ends as we walk out and we live lives of living sacrifice to God. It's a place of worship. And, and finally, it's a place of outreach. I mean, here, here's what Scripture teaches. And again, we, we've heard it too often, so it doesn't sound radical to us. Everybody sitting in this building right now is a priest. Everybody. That's the radical thing about the New Testament church. It was the priesthood of all believers now, what was a priest? A priest was a go-between between man and God. The Latin word for priest means a bridge builder. And so part of what we do as the temple of God is we try to connect someone who doesn't know God as a bridge to someone who can now be in fellowship with God. That's why as a church, we, we're willing to do things differently. We're willing to change because our job is not just for you and I to gather. Our job is for this to be a place where that bridge is built to someone who doesn't know Jesus. So it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's what you do to reach those people. I love that scene in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he's describing this worship scene. And, and, and Paul says, when you get it right, when you get the assembly right, someone will come into your midst and they will exclaim, truly, God is in this place. That's what we're after, is a place of absolute outreach where people are connected to God. That's what's supposed to happen in the temple. And that's why Jesus was so outraged in his life on earth, because people were being run away from God, invited from God, and discouraged. So think about what we've talked about so far, this reconstruction process, this repurpose, remembering what the temple's all about. Because this, this calls the people in, in Paul's day and our day to completely reimagine what we're talking about. Now, make this really clear here. The temple is not a building. It's people. It's not this structure here. I love this structure. I think it's a really cool place. 
but it's people. In the Old Testament, God had a building for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his building. It's a place for God to dwell. And second, it's not stationary. We don't come here and say, oh, we're in the temple of God now, and let's get out of the temple as soon as we can get out of here. No, no. It moves. You know, one of the cool phrases in, in Paul's writings is that we are the temple of God, okay? But there's two ways Paul uses it. One, he could have used to help us others. Because one, he, many passages where he says the temple of God, he uses a plural word. I'll read, you're the temple of God, I think me. That's not what he's saying. He said, y'all are the temple of God. And then in other passages, he does use the you. You are the temple of God. So what happens is the temple of God gathers all these stones together. And then the temple of God scatters all over our community. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God actually lives. Now, something really bothers me among some Christian groups is they keep calling on someone to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Listen, my friends, there is no reason for Jesus to come back to Jerusalem to build a new stone temple. What we have is much better. Amen? And all these people sitting around waiting for the temple. That would just call World War III, guys. Somebody's missed the point. The point is not we need a new stone building. The point is it's us, and we become a holy place. Don't get scared about that word holy. It just means different. It just means, okay, this building was for this, but here's a building over here that's holy. It's actually where God lives. Isn't that crazy? And we are called to be a holy temple. Now, let's look at a couple passages real quickly. One of them is one of those we passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 and 16, excuse me, verse 16 and 17. Now, listen to verse 16. Do you know that you yourselves are God's temple? It should say, do you know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That, that's who we are together. I wish this next line wasn't there, but it's there, and we need to take it seriously. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Guys, you start fooling with the temple of God, you think you're just being critical and being negative, and you start destroying the temple of God? God's not happy with that. Now, here's the, the you verse, just a couple of um, chapters over, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He's been talking about sexual immorality. You've been talking about Christians hooking up with prostitutes. And Paul's going to give the strongest argument in Scripture for sexual purity. It's a pretty crazy argument. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies, that's you, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, you know what Paul's saying here in context is? If you hook yourself up with a prostitute? Oh, no. You've brought God into this. When you sleep with someone you're not married to, it's not just you and that person. It's you, them, and God. And Paul says that should shake you up. 
You see, when I was a youth minister, we used to try to scare teenagers about doing wrong things. And we'd say, how about if you're in the, that car? How about if you're in that apartment? And you're doing some things you ought not do. And we'd say something like this. What are you going to do if God walks in? And we go, ooh, that'd be awful, man. I wouldn't want to be doing that if God walked in. That's not the issue. When you walk in the door, God walked in. You can't separate it. Because we are the temple of God. It's where God shows up. Now, so here's our final question. Just boil it all down to this question. Does God feel at home among us? Are you comfortable? Are we comfortable? If God walked in this door and said, let me check Landmark Church out. Let me see who's worshiping. Let me see who's not worshiping. Let me see who's into it. Let me see who's lukewarm. Would we be comfortable? Would we be comfortable God going, oh my goodness, this is my people. This is where I feel comfortable. Would you be comfortable God walking in your house and seeing the way you treat each other? Would you be comfortable God walking into your business place and seeing what the temple is looking like there or your school? You see, that's the exciting thing. He says, God is supposed to feel at home here. It's a place of connection with God. It's a place of unity with people. It's a place of life and worship and outreach. That's where God would feel at home. What an exciting task we've been given. That God would actually want to come to our house. I know as a father, it's been one of the most exciting things about my children growing older. Is I love to go to their house. Because I get to walk in their house and see how warm it is and inviting. I get to sit down for a meal at a table. I get to see how they're raising their children. And to this point, I've been very blessed because I don't walk into any of my kids' house right now and feel uncomfortable. You know that feeling, some of you. I may know that one day. I love going to my kids' house. And our Heavenly Father loves the same thing. He loves walking into our house, which is his house. Look at this last passage here from John. Oh, I love this. John 14, 23. Jesus says this, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's what God cherishes, just like any good father. He wants to be at home with his children. What an exciting thing we've given now, right now, we're about to have a time of response. Paul, if you bring the response basket over here, you got response cards there in front of you. Just I invite you. If, if today there's something you need us to pray about before we get out of here, just write it on that card. But let me give a specific challenge. If today you have, you have somehow, you know, living in a way that doesn't make God comfortable. I mean, you see, the, the, the thing is, we are to be a, a holy temple. And if you've got behavior going on in your life right now that's not holy, that's not of God, I'm not trying to guilt trip you or anything. It's just not where you want to be. And if you need to repent of that and write that on a card and we pray about it before you get out of here, please give us a chance. Or if some way you've become disconnected from the body. I mean, you've become this stone all by yourself. God, Satan's been working overtime to divide us. You name it, through pandemic, politics, you name it. He's trying, he's trying to do it because what he wants is he wants you all over there by yourself because then he can pick you off. 
And what God wants is for you to be a part of the rising stone by stone of his temple. If today you need to recommit yourself to that, come right now while we stand and sing.